0: hello trojan fans welcome to the peristyle podcast on a wednesday today we are talking with uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist dan weber about his picks and my picks for the pac-12 heading into pac-12 media days and we're going to answer a bunch of questions you have about this usc football team speaking of questions it's easy to get a hold of us podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address or a couple different ways to leave us a voicemail one you can call 641 715-3900, extension 816-646. We have that all listed on our website, peristylepodcast.com. If you want to leave us a voicemail or you can go to our website, com. click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail right from your computer or device. So lots of ways to get a hold of us. We would really love to hear from you. We try to make this an interactive show and we do have a lot of questions today. Let's talk to Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Oh,
2: pretty good. I uh, can't wait for uh, tomorrow always seems like the official Start of of the football season with uh, Pac- Pac-12 media days. Uh, USC will not be there till day two, so they split them up six and six. UCLA uh, gets to be the host uh, school on on day one, Thursday, and we're going back to another movie studio. Oh, Larry, to Mr. Scott, he's got something for those movie studios, and uh, <laughs> we're going to Warner Brothers this time. So.
0: Up in Burbank. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, so that's Thursday and Friday. I'm actually going, I'm going up both days, Dan, cause, uh, Dave Woods and I do our podcast of champions, Pac 12 podcast. So I'm going to try to do coverage of the entire, uh, you know, two days, all the 12, 12- all 12 coaches who are doing the ESPN car wash today. Um, even though Tom Brady is kind of dominating the news, but, uh, are you going to, I don't know if you're going to be there both days, but man, it's a long yeah, drive. I'm going to live
2: vlog. Yep. I'll live blog cause Larry, Larry Scott is, uh, Start the day off tomorrow, and there are a lot of questions for him about television. I think without a doubt. And on Friday, yeah. uh, we've got the head of the Pac-12, uh, both head of the Pac-12 football officials, the new, the new, uh, new boss of Pac-12 football officials, and we also have the head of the Pac-12 network. So those should both be uh, worthwhile sessions uh, to try to get get some answers about some questions that a
0: lot of people have yeah certainly I think it's gonna be a lot of it'll be interesting it'll be a lot of fun uh, a lot of great head coaches in the uh, Pac-12 a lot of snubs or I wouldn't say snubs a lot of star players are being left home though Dan I talked about this on the podcast of champions with Ted Miller a little bit but um, you know some big name guys like Scooby Wright and and Miles Jack, guys that aren't going to be there, which is, I think is kind of interesting. And Ted, Ted Miller actually said USC does a great job of bringing the star players and they're bringing Cody Kessler and Sue Cravens for this one.
2: Yeah. I don't think USC yes, always seems to instinctively get, I think it's the tradition that If you were, you know, the school in LA, the school that was connected, uh, you know, to Hollywood back in the day with Douglas Fairbanks, uh, senior, I guess, uh, Starting the, uh, you know, the film school at USC and they're just, you know, obviously, uh, with John Wayne and, and the, you know, succession of USC people that have been involved with the entertainment business. I just think it just seems to be a, a, a built in gene at USC that you kind of get this is where you should take your, uh, your, you know, you might not always want to or you might think it's a headache, but it's just what you do. you You take your, Your guys that people want to talk
0: to. Yeah. And, uh, USC does a great job of doing that. So we will see, uh, the next couple of days should be a lot of fun. We'll try to maybe do a little podcast on Friday from Pac 12 Media Day as well when USC goes on. I think they're in the mid morning time, uh, range there. But part of, uh, Pac 12 Media Day is that we get to, uh, as members of the media send in our picks for who's going to end up winning. The Pac-12. And, uh, I, Dan, you wrote a column on USCFootball.com today, uh, about who you picked. We basically picked the same team, so I kind of want to, we'll just go over, um, who you picked. And, uh, but we can start with the Pac-12 South, where, where you had USC number one.
2: Yeah, I, I, think, you know, if you're, and, and, let's face it, the Pac-12 South, I think is clearly, um, you know, it ended up as the best Division in football last year after people realized, you know, maybe those Mississippi schools really weren't that, that good. And, uh, uh, and I, and I think, you know, when you've got five teams in the top 25, that's a tough call. And as I noted, when I got here, having basically been a Midwest SEC guy and you always knew, you know, growing up, it was Ohio State or Michigan. I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, big brain teaser to figure out maybe somebody else would get in there, but man, that was a, and with the SEC 12 or now 14 teams, you knew it was going to be Alabama, Auburn, LSU or, uh, or, or, uh, Florida. And, you know, probably we had seen the end of kind of the Tennessee run and the, uh, Georgia run. And so those other teams in other conferences just didn't think they could win it. And you come, I came out and I remember the first year I covered the Pac-12 and I realized everybody thinks they got a chance to win. And I look back and the, the decade before I got here, nine different teams in the Pac-10 uh, had won championships. And I thought, wow, that doesn't happen anywhere else. Uh, and one of the things that always made the Pac-12 so interesting is they had the best quarterbacks. They probably had most guys who could catch the pass and defend the pass. And if you had a bad day, very often they could—they had enough weapons to beat you. And now with the influx of you know really good coaches, um, Pac-12 is the son of again, you know, to get through. I mean, you know, when you're picking the Pac-12 South and you realize you're you're selecting a team out of five who are going to probably be in the top 25, you got to have a, a way of going. And, and my way of going is you go with the the best veteran returning quarterback, uh, all other things being equal. And they're not probably really equal. I think USC you could make the case. Uh UCLA's got, you know, more numbers back. I think USC's got more talent, more just raw. You know, I know Sark today on the ESPN Car Awards is talking about, we're kind of young, but got a lot of talent, got a lot of depth, got a lot of numbers. And uh I think if you've got a guy like Cody Kessler, uh, you almost have to pick that team, and you probably – it's a reach. I know Ted Miller, you know, picked UCLA. I don't know how you pick a team with a true freshman quarterback. I mean, Brett Hundley, as great as he was his USC for three years, he redshirted that first year. It just seems to be asking a lot of Josh Rosen as a uh, as a first-year quarterback. With what else UCLA's got, I, I just think that's a, that's a reach. I think, um I think Mike Turcovici at, at Arizona State, uh, I think they might sneak in ahead of, ahead of UCLA for second. He's, uh, as close as you could have to a veteran and everybody at USC knows what he did to USC last year. So, so those would be my, <clears throat> my top three, uh, right there. And a lot of that's based on quarterbacks. Um I think the other, Factor is uh, uh, you got to look at the coaching, and is this year that you know year seven of Sark as the head coach, where he really goes into the season feeling like I've got enough talent, I've got enough players. We don't have to, you know, gimmick anything. We don't have we just have to go out and play and and be athletic and uh, and, and encourage our playmakers to make plays and and beat people and not try to outthink ourselves. So I think that's. There's a chance that that's going to happen. I, I think it's going to, going to go that, uh, going to go that direction. So, uh, is that kind of how you're looking at the Pac 12 South?
0: Yeah. and Well, I mean, it, I had the same top three. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned Ted Miller when we were talking to him. He had UCLA. He picked actually UCLA to win the whole thing. Um, I think, you know, and I was talking about this with David Woods. I think the three teams you mentioned at the top, USC, UCLA, and Arizona State, are all talented enough. They could all win it. They could all, and I think have a chance to beat Oregon, uh, in the championship game. I do think Arizona could still win it again, like they did last year. I still think Utah could sneak up on some people. I'm not sure if they're going to have what it takes to, to, to win the whole, you know, the whole thing, but maybe they could. Uh, but I really look at it as five teams. It's almost like throwing darts, Dan, in, in the South. It really, it, would you be shocked if, if Utah won? The only shocking thing would be if Colorado won.
2: Well. Although I think the shocking thing was the team that lost to USC in the last second on their home field is the team that won the Pac-12 South. Yes. How did they do that? How did, People said how they did were Arizona un- yeah, hit yeah. that field goal huh. at home and still go on and win the darn <laughs>
0: South? People I mean, say that they were lucky last year, and it's like, well, they were pretty unlucky against USC. You know, everyone else that played USC close at the end won. They were unlucky against USC, but lucky in some of their other games, I guess.
2: Yeah, and they got it all together. And then they get to the postseason, and they just <clears throat> vanished from yeah. the face of the earth. I mean, they their last two games. I mean, here's a team that wins the Pac-12 South. They win the toughest division in football. And their final two games, nobody even wants to talk about in Tucson. I mean, they were so outclassed against uh, Oregon and then – um I guess Boise State got him in the bowl game yeah, and racked up a bunch of points on them. And, uh, uh it's just, you just never know. Uh, it's the kind of thing that you look back and say, how did all those things, I mean, how, you know, you look back at the Utah and the, and, in um, the Arizona State games against USC and you say, how did that happen? And, you know, there were a whole lot of games like that last year. Uh, so for us to be picking them right now, you know, and I didn't even bother to pick uh who's going to win, uh, you know, the championship game between the North and South. That just seems like a bridge way too far yeah. to be trying to guess, especially if it's like the second game between USC and, and Oregon. Who the, you know, <laughs> we'll wait on that one. We'll pick that one down the road sometime. But uh I'm not sure Oregon is, you know, they'll probably have Vernon Adams and we picked them to win the, We're in the North, and I think one of the reasons you look at that is Stanford's just got so many new people on defense, and, uh, you just don't know if they've got enough. I mean, they they finished out really well, but you just don't know if they've got enough to go with Kevin Hogan, who against USC hasn't always been a good matchup for, for Kevin Hogan. But, uh, but I just, I don't see anybody in the North really, you know, challenging Oregon, even if, you know, their defense maybe uh, I know Ted really likes their defense. I'm not sure I, uh, I like their defense that much. They ought to be able to run the ball. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, by that time, you know, the end of the year when, when they have to play the games that matter against Stanford and, and USC, I'm not sure if Vernon Adams won't be their quarterback, uh, the Eastern Washington transfer graduate student who we know now is getting there late. But, uh, He's a pretty good athlete and a heck of a competitor, whether he's you no know Marcus Marietta, but that's not saying anything. Who yeah. is? <laughs> um, but uh, Marcus enabled them to just maintain the ball and do things, even though they ran it, you know, ran quick stuff and, and all that. If Oregon gets into a situation where they have the to punt, uh, it becomes a whole different game. Or if you can drive the ball on them, which I think this USC team ought to be able to do, uh, not unlike, you know, they did in, in 2011. I mean, this is what you want to be building for with this all offensive line that USC's putting together, where you can just line up against an Oregon and just knock them off the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's what, that's what that 2011 team did with, uh, you know, Matt Khalil and uh, Red Ellison getting to the point of attack and just, you know, just blowing them off the line of scrimmage. I think
0: they'll have a chance to do that, but, but we'll see. You know, the, the North, I, I do agree. I believe that Oregon's going to run away with it for some reason. I picked Stanford too, but I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped out a little bit. There's something about it, Dan. I don't know what it is. There's some gut feeling. I think they've recruited well. They got a talented team, but it just seems something like it seems like they're going in the wrong direction when you follow like a legend like Jim Harbaugh and they had some success early on. And it kind of dropped off a little bit. And I get a feeling it might – it's just a gut feeling. I mean, it could be completely wrong. that they might start dropping off again. And uh this could be kind of the the end of that big Stanford era. I don't know. Would, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, let's face it. As good as they were with Harbaugh and, and Luck for two of those games and all those big tight ends that are playing the NFL, they needed two miracles at the end – from the clock operator and, you know, officials and what have you, to win, you know, those two games. It's basically, they didn't have to win at all. And then they, they've lost the last two. I mean, they could easily be looking at a four-game losing streak to USC right now. And uh so, yeah, I think uh, they've got a lot to prove when they lose eight or nine starters on defense. And, you know, the way they play, They've got to be physical. They gotta, you know, they gotta rough you up. And, uh, can you do that with young players on the road in their first big game? I just, I'm not sure I, I look at that as a good matchup for them. And I, I mean, you know, will they be scrambling to, to stay in there with Cal? I mean, we've got, I mean, probably, I'm not sure if you had Cal third. I have Cal third just because Jared got, a lot of people think he's the best quarterback in college football. Yeah. And he's got an awful lot of talent and they're going to have, you know, they're going to put points on the board. Not that they're going to stop you from putting points on the board. I think against the, the bottom three in the Northwest, they're certainly going to put more points on the board than, than Washington and uh, in Oregon State and in Washington State. But, uh, but I don't, I don't know that that may be more the interesting battle is, uh, is Cal catching up. At all, you
0: know, with Stanford, uh, you know, in the Bay Area. Yeah, it, I, I mean, a lot of people are, are picking them to. I mean, they they don't have a very good defense, but offensively, they're going to be able to put up points. They're a high. I think they're a, you know a potential team that could finish second. I think they're a team that could beat some good teams and, and lose to some bad teams. It'll be interesting to watch them. What about Washington and, and Chris Peterson? You think that they can? Yeah. Uh,
2: How- you know, I know he wanted to say, you know, this is my team, you know, and now last year he wasn't very happy with, uh you know, the, the program that he inherited and the, the way everything worked. However, he did inherit three first-round NFL draft picks on defense, and that still didn't really help him that much on offense. It just seemed like they had a whole, you know, a long way to go on offense, and it doesn't look like they're any closer to, you know, figuring that out offensively, and and I just think they're going to be challenged to to score the football, and without those three NFL guys, I think they may be challenged to you know stop people. So I don't know. the the, the Apple Cup might be a heck of a game this year. Uh, I really like the kid. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of the kid that came in against U- uh, USC, the Falk kid, who was the walk on. Yeah. Ended up, when Connor Holiday broke his, his ankle, he ended up throwing 57 passes that day, completed 38 for like 346 yards or whatever it was. He was real impressive and they, everybody says he keeps looking that impressive. That's amazing. You can get a walk on who uh, looks like he's got, you know, that, that kind of a skill set. But, but I think that gives Mike Leach a quarterback he can work with.
0: Yeah, he uh he I think he averaged 460 ga- 460 yards a game over the last four games or something. Absolutely crazy. So yeah, it's uh uh he's he's from Utah and uh, like you said former walk-on and you know he'll probably put up some some really big numbers up there for uh, Mike Leach.
2: Yeah, I I uh, you know, you just don't know it. with all those teams, Oregon State, Washington State, uh do they have enough bodies? Do they have enough people, you know, to stop you? And and those are the games where you just think, you know, who's gonna, who has the ball last? Who's gonna, I mean, I don't know that Oregon State has enough offense, offensive skill people to score enough points either. So, uh, I'm gonna go with, with the quarterbacks and the teams that look like they can score the ball, knowing that they're all maybe gonna be hard pressed to to stop you this year.
0: Well, let's jump into these questions, Dan. We'll start talking, uh, some USC football. It'll be fun to, to cover the pack the Pac-12 at Media Day definitely. We'll put some updates on uh, uscfootball.com, and I'll have a couple podcasts and stuff. We'll probably try to do a USC podcast as well. Have uh, given a recap of what's going on, so we'll do even more podcasts this week. I'm going to get podcasted <laughs> yeah. out there. This is, I think my fifth one of the week, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep chugging away though. There, I think people enjoy them, so uh, we'll keep going. But Melvin had a question. He wants to know who's going to be our place kicker. Is he any good? And who's going to be the punter? Is he any good?
2: Well, I think the punter is, I think it's pretty, I think Chris Alvarado, uh, we see him, you know, week after week, and he's booming the ball of practice and booming the ball of practice. I mean, he was, for a couple of years, he was in the, um, you know, he was in the system where they really wanted him to directional kick, and they didn't want him to outkick the coverage. And, It does seem at times now when he tries to, like, you know, switch the field, when he's on his own 20-yard line and you just want him to kick the heck out of it, he has a tendency, it seems at times, to rush maybe a little bit and you don't see that, you know, that majestic ball turns over and you get that, you know, that big-time kick every once in a while. I just think, you know, after another year of being encouraged to, to be able to do that, I think I think you know it won't be nearly as. I mean, this is a team with more depth and, and more speed to cover the football. And I think this will be a team where you're going to encourage them to kick the heck out of it and cover it with as many fast guys as you can, and and flip the field on people. Uh, as far as uh kickoffs, I think Alex Wood did a heck of a job last year. He really. This was, he was not a big, strong guy, That he was brought on at times when Andre Hadari got hurt to kick extra points, and, and then he started just increasing the length, and on his, um his field, I mean his, uh, um, kickoff, I thought he was really effective last year, and, and got to be an excellent kickoff guy. And I, I do like Matt Bormister, the left-footed, blue shirt, scholarship kid from San Diego, whose dad was a, uh, Was the field goal kicker at UCLA in his playing days? He's got a really live leg. He's got a kind of a natural. He's a natural, like 55-yard field goal kicker. Uh, He has the ability, I think, with his natural leg swing. So he's got that kind of distance. Uh, When you take that biggest swing at it, uh, you may not always, you know, be right down the middle. But uh, but I, I think the you know the field goal kicking is. We'll see, you know, when he's under pressure, the end of a game, you know, Andre showed that he could be uh against Stanford the last two years. We'll see. You don't, you can't replicate that. That can, that happens when it happens. But I think USC has a chance. And we'll see. I know, who was it? Phil Steele had USC special teams ranked 48 out of the 48 that he ranked. So wasn't exactly an endorsement, but, uh. But I do think, uh, I think, I think the kickers have a chance, but it's not something you're going to say, oh, yeah, I know they can do it.
0: Okay, let's go to Tarek. He had a question. With his similar size and athleticism, could we see Dominic Davis, uh, Dominic Davis, uh, used in Sark's offense the way DeAnthony Thomas was used in Oregon's offense?
2: Uh, I would say, I'd say DeAnthony was a little bit more like Dory. Dominic, is built he's built stronger he built a little lower to the ground he's uh he's got power and and kind of ability to cut more on the curve and, and on the turn and and get up field quickly he's got kind of a different skill set he looks like he has really good hands though really good jumping ability he can go up and catch the ball in the crowd uh I, I really wouldn't compare, compare them. Dominic's more of a quick power guy than he is that really elusive water bug type guy that you see with the Dory and you saw with the Anthony. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, he's got a skill set that could get him on the field. I don't think there's any question.
0: Uh, Frank wrote in from, Sacra- from Sacramento. Sacramento, Sacramento. Sorry about that, yeah. Frank. Uh, given how poorly Chris Peterson's version of the Washington Huskies looked in 2014, with three first-round NFL draft picks on defense, they actually had four in the first 44 picks, maybe we have underestimated Sark's record there and his potential at USC. So it wasn't really right. a question, more of a comment, I guess. <laughs>
2: I'm, not, I'm not sure. What, I, I, I don't know that we know exactly what, you know, I mean, I think there are some things you take out of Washington that are good things, and there are things you take out of Washington that are, oh, my gosh, we got to scramble. How do we, you know, fool them? How do we sneak this game in when you don't have enough players? He obviously got, you know, identified players that ended up being really good players. It didn't always show up. Um, uh, so so I don't know. I think that's a good question as to what does, you know, Sark, Take out of the you know the Washington experience of going into a program that was just you know kneecapped um, by uh, Willing, uh yeah, willingham i guess uh, and and left uh probably not as bad as its record was, but it was on its hands and knees so i I think there was a lot of scrambling that went on to sark and now you're in a place where you're not scrambling anymore you're you've got a whole different mindset about. Uh, about things at USC so uh, I think that's always going to be a good question what what do we take away and what does Sark take away from the the Washington experience and how does it play out at USC
0: Uh, all right let's go to Martin in Ontario California he says now that the numbers are up on the defensive line and linebacker do you see USC going back to a 4-3 or 4-2 front on defense instead of the 3-4 and 2-4 they played in last season there seems to be more size and speed this season compared to last season to make the switch or will it be difficult to teach another scheme in another year where the defensive scheme have changed over the last three seasons uh yeah they're n-
2: yeah they're not going to change i mean yeah. I, I don't want i mean i think they do enough mixing and matching and 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 moving guys around and standing guys up you know on the line of series and all that that I think the nomenclature is maybe overstated in terms of you know what they're going to you know necessarily line up in. I mean, I think they've you know you just don't see teams you know coming out and playing the four three every single play. It just as that's just not where football is anymore. And so I think you can kind of make whatever you call it. uh You can do whatever you want out of it. And you basically want to do what best for those guys you got on the field, you know, on that particular play. And uh, so, I, I yeah, I, I, I wouldn't get into too much into the what do we call it? Uh, I don't, I don't think it's it's how do you play it.
0: All right, we got a couple more. Here's a voicemail one for you, Dan.
1: Harvey Hyde or Dan Weber. Just, uh, I'm calling because I wanted to ask. What are the chances of them hiring back the tailbacks coach um i forget his name the, the one with the big lawsuit uh with the savvy lawyers uh i it, i'm having a brain for it right now but uh hiring him back a tailback coach because um he um he seems to be a good tailback coach and we don't Look like we have a tailback coach at this time, as well as um, hiring Norm Charles when you know it didn't look good over there in Hawaii for him when he becomes available next uh, next year. I'll say, or, or you know, so sort of <clears> that our offense can, cannot be as predictable as it might be in the future. Thank you, and have a blessed
2: Okay, uh, I I'm not against, uh, USC figuring out a way to hire back Cosmic Nair. Not necessarily as a coach. I mean, a lot of schools have, um, former coaches as, uh, in, in positions like, you know, Associate AD for NFL relations or something like that. I think it would be a, a wonderful thing for USC to do and to step up and say, you know, uh, what they think about you know, what happened with that whole NCAA process. And, and I don't think that's a really, really a bad idea. To be honest, I think if that job opens up, uh, the guy who'd be first in line, from my perspective, would probably be uh, Tommy Robinson, who, uh, you know, is a great coach, had a one great year here. He's in Texas now. Uh, and, you know, not not knowing anything or not saying anything, he'd be somebody... I'd look at. I just think he did a did a wonderful job, you know, in his one year here. But, you know, you can't really be doing that until you you have openings or guys move around or, or all of that kind of thing. But uh just thought he did a did a great job with five different tailbacks of all kinds of experience and age levels and what have you. But uh but if they if they create a position for Todd McNair as associate A D for NFL relations, I'd be all for that.
0: Yeah, and on, it's funny, on the Norm Chow side, Um, he, I, our our buddy Bruce Feldman is actually at Mountain West Media Days, and I uh, just posted a story that he linked to on his Twitter about Norm Chow and Max Wittek, the former USC quarterback. So uh, obviously, Hawaii didn't have a great year last year, but Norm Chow said that if Max Wittek was the starter, they would have had a winning record last year. They made him the starter, even though they had an incumbent coming back. Um, They said he was tearing it up on the scout team. Um, Max Wittick was really excited about me potentially going to Texas, but didn't end up had a couple classes missing and couldn't graduate according to the article. But it's really interesting as the question came out about Norm Chow. Um, they seem pretty excited right now uh, for Hawaii with, with Wittick there as the starter, Dan.
2: Yeah. I mean, you've got, you know, he gives you that kind of quarterback, uh, that, that Norm started with at USC with Carson Palmer, that big, strong arm guy, you know, can throw the ball through the wall. And, uh, and he's going to get a chance, I think, to throw the ball a lot. So I think this could be a really good year for Max. and could be a, you know, a saving year, you know, for Norm. And, uh, I, you know, let's just hope it works out for both of them. I'm not sure I see, you know, Norm in a, in a position where he's going to come back and, and, and be, you know, an offensive coordinator with somebody. And especially, you know, uh, when Norm was at USC, it was a common, sort of a, you know, that, Conflict, but who was going to get that job at USC between, uh, you know, the Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkisian, up and coming guys, and Norm Chow. And that was sort of the, you know, the decision to go with the up and coming guys and split that job. And that's what, you know, got Norm to move on. So I'm not sure I see that happening.
0: Yeah, and it, it'd be interesting. Norm's 69 years old now. Uh, if he does get fired or something after this year in Hawaii, which I think they were going to do it before, but they don't really have the money to fire them and pay them out yeah. and, and hire a new one. So there's a kind of issues there, but you know, I think he still has a house in Manhattan beach. Um, him and Steve Sarkeesian, I think are closer than him and Lane Kiffin with the whole BYU connection and stuff. Who knows down the road if Clay Helton gets like a head coaching job somewhere, that'd, that'd be kind of interesting to see Norwich Chow come back.
2: That's a good, yeah, that you just never know. I think the when some of these things play out. So, uh, there are a lot of, you know, connections that you could come up with and say, what if, you know, what if. And there, there are a whole bunch of them.
0: Was, was uh, North Child a coach, was coaching, was offensive coordinator when Steve Sarkeesian was there at BYU? I think, I kind of think he was, but I'd, I'd have to go back and look.
2: I think he, if you looked at all those years, he was there. It's like 30-something like 18, years. Yeah. <laughs> it was like 18 years as coordinator, I think, or something okay. like that. They almost, he would have almost had to have been. Yeah. Uh, you would think. I hadn't even ever thought about that. But, uh, yeah, I would, would be surprised if that wasn't the case.
0: I'll go look it up. So sorry. I apologize for that. If it's a really obvious answer, I apologize to our podcast listeners, but I, you know, there's obviously a connection there with the BYU thing. Um, yep. we got a couple, uh, quick ones and we'll, we'll finish off Chris, uh, and Cambria. Uh, last week you and Dan talked about the Pac-12 network and cable cutting in general. With the first two games of the season being on the Pac-12 Network, what options, if any, do those of us who don't have the Pac-12 Network have to see the games? For example, can it be purchased online and streamed, etc.? And I'll, I'll just take this real quick, Dan. Um, you can't purchase it online. You can watch uh, Pac-12 Media Day; they're allowing that. But unless you get it on your TV, you can't. You're not going to be able to watch it. Uh, and so, we put up a, a list of bars and restaurants across the country on uscfootball.com if you go under the more tab it says pack full of bars um, so we try to keep that list up to date and people send them in we don't, we're not checking each one of them if someone sends it in says that this bar has it we put it in there if someone sends it in says this bar doesn't have any more we'll take it off but we try to make a, a list and it's usually pretty popular dan around the season when U- usc games come around
2: i think it'll be really popular this year and uh it isn't you know it's a tough deal with uh I think the Pac-12 has 12.3 million subscribers and, uh, uh, the Big Ten has over 60 and the SEC has, you know, like almost 70 million. And so, uh, you know, I mean, and, and the thing that probably drives people crazy is you can be in here, you know, living here in Southern California, you can get the Big Ten network and you can get the SEC network and you can't get the, uh, you know, you can't get the Pac-12. Yeah. I don't know what, uh, do people have a, uh, a choice with UVerse, for example, through AT and T, uh, if you're you know somewhere out there, and I guess you can through Dish, uh, but a lot of people don't want to give up Direct TV for Dish. Yeah. Uh They figure that the NFL is worth so much more to them that um, if you go to Dish just to get the Pac-12, that's maybe not enough of a, a reason to do it. But uh, but you always come to the Coliseum, there will be tickets available. Yeah. For, uh, Arkansas
0: State and Idaho, so uh, might be a nice time. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I have Verizon FIO, so I I can get SEC Network, I get Big Ten Network, but I can't get the Pac-12 Network. Uh, but I think on Veri-
2: you can't on Verizon and FiOS, only on UVerse, I guess. Yeah, the UVerse,
0: right? and then I think Dish, and I believe Time Warner, you can get it too. But um, yeah, it's uh you know, so I do apologize for that. We do try to. We've had this list going for a few years now, and. It gets tweeted quite a bit when uh when I repost it again and we'll try to keep it updated and uh but make you know, make it a social event. If you can't get it, they're not allow they're not gonna allow you to stream it at least they have it in the past. So we apologize for that. We got one last one for you. Um Bill wrote in and said, What caught my attention on the Trey, uh the Clay Travis podcast was the disparity in the Pac-12 business model versus the SEC and the Big Ten. Pac-12 is going it alone versus partnering with established sports networks like ESPN or Fox. Interesting that there may, may be huge upside for years down the road, given that ESPN is starting to lose subscribers. Uh, as a side note, I'm also a Verizon Fios uh, TV Internet subscriber, as you are. Okay, cool. I do love the, the Internet there. Um, all this begs the question, why doesn't the Pac-12 partner today with an Internet provider that is scaled and positioned uh, without a market or contractual uh, limitations to distribute and stream the standalone Pac-12 broadcast via the Internet? Uh, this question, uh, if other cable uh, providers don't have PAC-12 agreements for television broadcasts, can't the, can't they sell the PAC-12 broadcasts on a pay-per-view basis, uh, via internet streaming broadcasts or even just delayed internet broadcasts? Curious if FCC regulations or even PAC-12 AT&T contractual limitations are prohibiting that also. (laughs) Sorry, a lot of, a lot of stuff there, but that's from. Yeah.
2: I guess maybe, are you talking about like a Netflix or something like that? Where, you know, you would, you would subscribe and be able to get it. I'm not sure they're allowed to offer it like that.
0: Yeah, because then
2: it's a question we're going to probably ask in the next couple of days. What are their options? I mean, they, they, they truly believe, oh, they're going to have the best of, of, of all worlds when this all shakes out. And, and we do know there's some contraction in the cable industry. Uh but it certainly got, you know, the Big Ten and the FCC off to a flying start that did not happen for the Pac twelve. And uh so so I think I don't know that enough of us I don't know <laughs> enough people at the Pac twelve know I mean you can't find anyone to tell you exactly how is this going to work out for the benefit of the Pac twelve. How you know, how do they catch up when they're only able to maybe generate a million dollars a year per school from the network, when the SEC is generating 10 million already per school, and the, uh, in the Big Ten is generating 5 million dollars a year per school. How do you catch up? How does that work down the road? Where, where do those dollars come from that are gonna start building up, uh, pretty significantly for those other two, you know, big boy networks? Uh, haven't gotten a good answer yet. They keep telling you, no, no, our model's going to work. We own everything. We own all the rights. We own. Okay. We just don't know exactly how that plays
0: out. Yeah, we don't. And, uh, you know, there was another announcement today, Dan, about, uh, PAC 12 and they have, a, they signed a deal, uh, with Adidas, which is bizarre to me. I didn't, I didn't go through and read the whole thing, but it's mostly like the studio people. It's, you know, it's not like every school has to wear Adidas, obviously, but, To sign, like, a German company to the Pac-12 when Phil Knight and Oregon are, you know, in your footprint and in your backyard, it just seems kind of a – to me, that was a very Pac-12 decision that you signed Adidas and somehow didn't get a deal with Knight.
2: Interesting. Uh, Adidas has lost so many, you know, schools recently. I mean, they just lost the Michigan deal, I guess. and Have they lost Tennessee yet? Uh, you keep track of tennis. I think so.
0: I, I my wife uh, talks about that stuff. I try to tune it out sometimes, Dan, but don't, don't tell her that. <laughs> but I believe so. I, I think Adidas
2: so. probably has some money available having been dumped. I mean, you know, uh, is, that, you know, is that UCLA, you know, falling in the footsteps of UCLA is like the big Adidas school now. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't quite, you know, I mean, are you going to have, I guess you know all the officials are going to wear Adidas shoes uh,
0: probably I think that's probably included, yeah. I guess
2: you know uh, I mean, I think there are things on the fringe you can do at a conference, but uh it just seems uh, you know it's, it seems like you're doing something just to be doing something that how much of a how much does it really matter
0: yeah, I mean it's just it's to be that close to Nike and to be you know that you have the marquee school of Nike. In Oregon, of course, like, you know, schools like USC and so many other schools are there. But just that's in your footprint, you know, and, and you hire basically a soccer, more of a soccer brand than anything. Uh, you know, it's a big global brand. It's just not as big here, especially in the college football world. So it's just. Well, I
2: guess the uh, Pac-12 is a global brand. Oh, we've yeah. Been that's, called, and they're a global conference. And uh, they don't worry about <laughs> stuff like getting their. uh tv product distributed in all oh, you know places like southern california <laughs> who uh you know well, we're, maybe they'll all sign a deal with uh you know german television for the um, you can get Black it in china dan
0: you can get you can stream pack 12 network in china i can't get it in hermosa beach you know what is going there on There you go. <laughs> all right well i know dan you got uh, you got stuff going on so uh, i just wanted to uh Get you on the show, and we appreciate you coming on and sharing all your insights. And looking forward to talking to you over the next couple of days at Pac-12 Media Day up in Burbank.
2: Up in Burbank at Warner Brothers. We'll see you there.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Dan, and uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle po- Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.